the rest of that night, Jesus was dragged from one trial to another, falsely accused, beaten before jeering mobs, even betrayed by his closest friends. As the prophet Isaiah predicted hundreds of years earlier, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed.
Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome this afternoon to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And on this Good Friday, let me take this opportunity, whether you are here in person or on the live stream, to say how thrilled we are that you have chosen to worship with us and here for a few moments on this Friday afternoon to reflect on what is the most history-altering event in the history of the universe, and that is the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for our sins. As my good friend Mike Kangian puts it, his sacrifice is our salvation, his death is our life. And so it is uh, my hope and our hope that this is a rich time of reflection, of meditation, and of worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of thinking what he came to do for us, of our need for him, and what he endured, what he went through, infinite suffering out of infinite love. And then, of course, all of this moves forward towards Easter Sunday, and I want to invite all of you to join with us in what we are hoping is just an absolutely thrilling celebration. We begin at 9 a.m. out in the pavilion where we do have curtains hung, even though there is, we're watching like a hawk, the weather. And it's looking more and more like the Lord is going to uh, be kind to us in this way. But we have an Easter brunch at 9 a.m. that we would love for you to join us at as we fellowship together, as we celebrate feasting together the resurrection. And then we come on in here at 10.30 and we celebrate the resurrection. Christ, our victory. And so we are glad that you are here with us this afternoon. Our call to worship comes from Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 4 and 5. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We confess, Father, that we barely have the slightest bit of understanding what unraveling, what torture, what agony Jesus went through, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, and relationally, that particular Friday over 2,000 years ago. Lord, we pray that you would be present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to impress upon our hearts the meaning of Christ's death, that his sacrifice is our salvation, and his death is our life that we would be ones to whom your arm has been revealed in power and in omnipotence. Impress upon our hearts the meaning of your death as we meditate upon these truths this afternoon, as we pray to you, as we praise you, as we sing to your glory. We invoke your name to join us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together and sing, Alas, and did my Savior bleed.
Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him. And he'd be reminded of that denial when the rooster crowed. We read in John chapter 18, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. It is so easy to maybe come down hard on Peter, failing to recognize that if we were in that same situation, we would have chosen comfort over loyalty as well. While Jesus is going through that kangaroo court of a trial, what does Peter do? He's down in the courtyard warming himself, staying comfortable at the fire. How many times do I choose comfort over love for my Lord? How many times do I choose pleasure over speaking up for the truth, over doing what I know is right and obedient? And when the rooster crows, it's a reminder of his brokenness. He was not what he ought to be. He was not what he wanted to be. Nor are we. Friends, I invite you to take a few moments to engage with the Lord, to be honest with him, to to confess before him and say, we are not what we ought to be. We are not what we want to be and to plunge our failure, to plunge our need into the immense heart of Jesus, seeing that on the cross, all of our brokenness, all of our need was absorbed into him. And then we will pray a corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Let us pray together. Loving God, we know that you love us, so we confess that we have let you down. Every day we betray you, deny you, misunderstand you, crucify you. We betray you when we are selfish or unkind. We deny you when we do not speak out for truth. We misunderstand you when we justify our actions by misquoting your teaching. We are truly sorry, 
and we wait for your word of love through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, now receive the assurance of pardon. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, do you hear that? Do you receive that? Though we were hostile in mind, alienated from God, doing evil deeds, he has done all the work. He has reconciled us in his own body of flesh through his death on the cross. In order to, friends, this is how you are presented before God. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Do we have any clue what it feels like to be above reproach? Above shame, above disapproval, all because of Christ's death and resurrection. For all who are in Christ Jesus, be assured that through his blood, you've been reconciled to God and you are now pardoned. You are now holy and blameless and above reproach. Let us stand and sing in worship of God, Lamb of God.
Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from John's Gospel, John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the sovereign God because he loves you.
want to thank Amy and the choir for your ministry to us as a church, bringing us to the foot of the cross to reflect on and meditate upon these truths, both our need for a Savior and that wonderful provision of Christ as our Savior. We're going to reflect and just meditate for a few moments on some of the meaning and the ramification of Jesus' death on the cross for us on that first Good Friday. Before we do so, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be present here with us, that you would impress upon our hearts, maybe in a little deeper way, that this just wouldn't be the same old story we've heard time and time again, but that your spirit would take it and truly apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we would see Jesus' infinite suffering out of infinite love for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, where are we in the story? Jesus' interrogation at the hands of Pilate is completed. He has been sentenced and handed over to the Roman soldiers for crucifixion. What do we learn here about the meaning of the cross? How do we interpret the suffering of our Savior? How do we understand and submit to the Bible's teaching, not our own ideas, not maybe our own interpretations or our own preconceived notion, but what the Bible tells us about the interpretation of the meaning of the cross. So we want to especially look at what Jesus said from the cross to give us that explanation. What does this passage teach us about the suffering of our Savior? For here we have the deepest revelation of what theologians have called the passion of Jesus Christ. The deepest revelation of the passion of Jesus. Now, what does the word passion mean? Originally, the Latin word for passion meant suffering. This is not how we typically use the word today. If you turn on your TV, if you read a magazine, if you get on the internet, if you're online, the way it's used in modern usage, it means romance, lipstick, by passion lipstick. Or it means perfume, by Calvin Klein's passion. Passion means love and feeling and emotion. But the original word meant suffering. And that means what the Bible is telling us, and therefore how we must interpret it. We must get our meanings from the Bible. Is that deep love always entails deep suffering. The passion of Jesus Christ is that he went, underwent infinite suffering out of infinite love. This is where you find a worth, a self-esteem, a self-worth that cannot be shaken. Because this is where you see that you were worth Jesus undergoing infinite suffering out of infinite love for you. And the infinite suffering is defined for us in Jesus' words, I thirst and it is finished. In verse 28, we read after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now complete, all was now finished, said, and here he's fulfilling the scripture, I thirst. And a jar of full sour 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. We have to realize that at this point, when Jesus spoke this word from the cross, he had been on the cross for hours in the middle of the hot Judean day, going through torture and agony. Physical, emotional, and spiritual pain that we can't even begin to plumb the, plumb the depths of imagining. It is not surprising that Jesus would exclaim that he is thirsty. He's quoting and alluding here to Psalm 22 where it says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Here is Jesus suffering out of infinite love for us in obedience to the plan of God. All of this is God's plan. We learn from Matthew's account of the death of Jesus that from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now what does the darkness mean? Did you ever wonder why darkness would come over all the land? In the scriptures, darkness is symbolic. It is emblematic of what is happening to Jesus spiritually at this moment. Tim Keller tells us that when the biblical writers discuss or descri describe lostness, eternal lostness, when they describe hell, much more often than the metaphor fire, which is sometimes used for hell, the metaphor that is used is of the outer darkness. Because God, the presence of God, is something that our hearts and our souls need, like the flowers need the sun. And if this very second, the sun really went out, totally disappeared, we would all be immediately dead. So Jesus from the cross cries out, I thirst, and cries out more directly. The text means he rages, he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is going on right now is he is being plunged into absolute darkness. He is, he is beginning to unravel. He is going down to utter spiritual destruction. And then he utters these final words. Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Greek word is the word tetelestai, in a form indicating that it's an action that has been totally completed. It comes from the Greek word telos, which means purpose, or end, or goal. In other words, Jesus say, is saying, the entirety of my life, the entirety of my mission, everything for which my life was dedicated, the purpose, the mission, it is completed. God's justice has been satisfied. Tim Keller again says, what the gospel gives us is this. A God who comes down to bear the evil and injustice of the world, even to die under, so someday he can end evil without having to end us. Do you see this? If Jesus didn't go to the cross, the only way for God to satisfy justice and end evil, all the evil, all the injustice, all the death, all the dying, all the calamity 
we would see if Jesus didn't go to the cross, the only way for him to end evil would be to end us. He would have to crush us. And so Jesus, he ended Jesus, he crushed Jesus in our place. And so when he cries, it is finished, he is saying, justice has been satisfied. God's justice has been, has been satisfied. He's saying, I did it. I completed it. And again, we look at a detail, a very important detail from Matthew's account. Because he did it, because he completed it. Matthew tells us that when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, that is the cry, it is finished. He gave up his spirit. At that very moment, the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, why is that detail, seemingly insignificant detail, so vital and so important? You recognize what the temple means and what it represented? It was the meeting place between heaven and earth. It was the physical meeting place for God and man. And if you went into the temple prior to the death of Jesus, do you know what you found? Barriers. Nothing but barriers. Basically, a giant sign without a sign being there literally saying, keep out. You weren't allowed in. That meant intimacy and presence and love could only be felt so far. So the temple up to that point told us, keep out, no access, no presence, no intimacy, only fear, only dread. Until the moment Jesus cried out, it is finished and gave up his spirit. Then the veil is ripped, torn in two from top to bottom. And what does that tell us? That tells us that Jesus was barred from the presence of God so that God could open wide his arms and say, come on in. Welcome. Instead of fear and dread, there's welcome and acceptance. Jesus is rejected so we could be welcomed. All of us, whether we admit it or not, fear shame and fear embarrassment and fear rejection. This tells us Jesus went through what we ultimately feared so that we would never be ultimately rejected. In other words, the cry, it is finished, it is completed, means there's nothing more for you to do. And you know that might be the hardest part of the message, that there is nothing more for us to do. He finished it. He completed it. As a matter of fact, if you are trying to do something, to contribute something, if you're trying to contribute a moral life, a good life, career, reputation, success, everything working out somehow, it is actually an affront to Jesus' work. <clears throat> you are saying his work is not sufficient. His work is not enough. See, we have to learn to receive rest as a gift. And then work not for that rest, 
but work from that rest. Not work for acceptance, but work from <clears throat> that sense of security and that sense of acceptance, knowing that we are secured. Do you know what that means? That means quit striving. See, this and this alone is what gives us the ability to really live, to live with real joy, real freedom, real obedience, to live in the joy and the relaxation that it is finished. Let me challenge you and ask you a question. What is it in your life that you're trying to do to somehow finish the work? What is it that you're trying to do to make your life work, to build an identity on, to say, if I only have this, if I only succeed at this, if I only do this, and you're driven for that, rather than resting and relaxing in the reality that it is finished. Anything that you will ever need for acceptance, for approval. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, that we're reconciled to God through his body of flesh by his death in order that you might be presented to God holy and blameless and above reproach. If Jesus presents you to God blameless, why are you always blaming yourself? If Jesus presents you to God as good enough, above reproach, why are you always holding yourself in contempt? Why are you always disapproving of yourself, and for that matter, disapproving of others, if Jesus declares you above reproach? Did Jesus finish it or not? Did Jesus finish it, or are you trying to help him along because maybe you know a little bit better than Jesus? We have to learn to let the pressure come off, to take the pressure off. Do you see how the cross transforms everything? That Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday where the resurrection was God's divine yes. See, this is not Jesus placating an angry God. This is God's plan, the triune God working in complete harmony, complete coherence together saying that it is finished. The resurrection and the cross are of a piece. They go together. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, that is God's divine yes, his divine amen, the vindication of everything that was done. Do you see how the cross transforms everything and can transform you? Father, we pray that we would understand more as we've just spent a few minutes this afternoon meditating on what you did, Jesus, for us. How you became unraveled, how you were barred, how you were forsaken, how you were rejected so that we could always find acceptance, approval, and welcome. Lord, help us to understand the gift of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing our closing hymn this afternoon.
friends, thank you for attending our brief worship service this afternoon, and you all are invited to join us for the culmination of Holy Week, Easter Sunday, at our brunch at 9 a.m. and the Easter celebration at 10.30. And now, friends, receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.